We're in Romans chapter 12. I want you to go there. Romans chapter 12. Um, I want you to remember the things that are coming up next week. If you've never watched the God is Not Dead movies, get them and watch them this week. Um, I'm sure you can watch them on Net, or Pure Flix or Netflix or somewhere. And if you don't have that capability, you can find them on a video. But if you watch the three prior ones, it'll set it up for the fourth one that we watch next Sunday night. So if you've never watched God is Not Dead, they're great movies. Um, wrestling with some just great truths related to our culture in which we live right now, the gospel, and many of the defining battles that are going on around us. And so, you know, if you can watch those previous ones, it'll, it'll help you be ready for Sunday night. And then don't forget to invite a friend. Don't forget to invite a friend. It's important for us. It's a great, you know, it's easy to get somebody to go watch a movie with you. Somebody doesn't know the Lord. It's a great way to bring them out, have an opportunity for us at the church to get to know people in our community. And, uh, you know, if we pack it out and we can't all go in there, I don't got to go watch the movie. And I'm sure there's others that don't got to watch the movie. You know, we can stand in the aisle or do whatever. Um, you know, so pack, let's pack the place out next Sunday night with people from our community. It's a great opportunity for us as a church. We're, we're, we're talking about spiritual gifts. Today we come to an individual gift that we're going to study as foundational to the rest because all through the New Testament, this one is kind of put up on a pedestal as being very important and foundational to the church. The gift of prophecy. The gift of, uh, of speaking for God. What does this mean? What is a prophet? Are there prophets today? What does this mean? Some very important questions we have to wrestle with here. This is going to be more of a teaching time than like a sermon and I sure don't want to lose it. This is so, I have to admit, you know, every Sunday when I preach, to get ready for every Sunday when I preach, I put in a massive amount of time. It's not like I just, you know, pull it out of my hat. I have to admit, though, this sermon has taken me longer to get ready for, and I feel less ready to preach it than almost any sermon I've ever preached. This is a tough subject. It also is a very controversial subject. I can think of two occasions in my ministry when somebody came to me. One time, I was coming down the aisle on my way to get up and preach. And an individual who was visiting the church pulled me aside and said, I have a prophecy for you. And I'm thinking, I'm getting ready to preach, and you're going to do what? So he gave me his prophecy, and I won't give you his prophecy. And I came up and preached my sermon, but the whole time I was preaching my sermon, I was scratching my head thinking, what was that? Prophets and prophecy. What is this? Let's go to the scripture first. Let's read the text. We'll lay a little bit of kind of foundation for where we're going to go. And then we're going to kind of go with a gallop. I hope you can keep up with me. And I'm not even sure that going in a gallop will finish. There's massive amounts. You just take a concordance, look up the word prophet, prophecy, and prophesy, and see how many verses in the scripture talk about this. And then trying to put it together into a coherent concept 
that is also biblical and practical for how we as a church function. What does it mean? Let's look to the Lord after we read the scripture. He says in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now just notice a couple things about the text and we'll go to prayer. First thing I want you to notice here is every one of the gifts that are mentioned are what we call in the language a participle. He doesn't use the noun form. He doesn't say, if a prophet, if a teacher. He says, if prophecy, if teaching, if exhortation. These are participles. Now, a participle is a verb that is acting as an adjective. It is descriptive. It is describing the different gifts. The gift is the noun. And then all these different ones, these participles, are used to describe what the gifts are. So we have gifts of prophecy. We have gifts of teaching, exhortation, serving, giving, ruling, and mercy. It's kind of important to note at the outset. Because he's saying here to us, our identity as an individual in Christ is not our gift. It's not like, I am a prophet, I am a teacher. No, it is a function that the Holy Spirit gives into the church. So it's not an, an identity you own. And that's why he's doing that here. And it's important we note that. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But let's just go to the Lord in a word of prayer. And ask the Lord's blessing on this. Lord, I come before you. Lord, I want to humble myself before your word and your people and ask your help. That, Lord, as we teach this, Lord, your word would speak for itself. Lord, I wouldn't superimpose upon your word. This was my greatest fear, Lord, as I prayed and studied before you this week because I would never want to speak and say something that is contrary to your will and your way. Lord, I just ask that you would help us as we delve into your word, that your Holy Spirit would open up your truth for your people so that we as a church can truly function. Lord, that would... Lord, that is our, our, zeal, our zealous desire before you, that we would function before you as your body in this world so you could do your work through us. Oh, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Prophets and prophecies. Now, let's just think about the gifts. Let's run back in our mind real quick. Talking about spiritual gifts. Adjectives are focused. These aren't just abilities you have. These are abilities given to us by the Spirit. 
And so they are Holy Spirit generated. They are for the purpose of spiritual things and they operate in the spiritual realm. The purpose of these gifts is not to glorify you or me. They are to grow the body of Christ. They are for the edification of the church. They have a very specific purpose in the mind of the Lord. They are for accomplishing spiritual goals to bring forth spiritual fruit. And so they are called spiritual gifts. Now, I drew your attention to 1 Peter chapter 4 two weeks ago. Last week uh, was Reformation Sunday. And I want to look at this verse again. I want you to notice it with me. He says, as each... So you're sitting in the pew. He's talking to you. Each. Every Christian. Every Christian has received a gift. Use it. Why do you use it? For yourself? To make yourself feel better? Even so you grow? No, you use it for what purpose? The service of others. In other words, the edification of the church as it dovetails with 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we are to do so as good stewards of God's very grace. Notice the word a steward. A steward is someone who is entrusted with something to care for that thing for the owner. And he will give an account to the owner for the stewardship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the scripture says this, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. You entrust something to someone else, a duty, an obligation, your child to a babysitter. You want them to be faithful, and they will give an account. And so we will give an account to God for the gift that we received and how well we employed it in serving others. That tells us this is important. He goes on and he says in the verse, So whoever speaks, let all of his words, let all of his speech be as it were the very oracles of God. Whoever serves. Let him serve by the strength which God supplies. Why? Notice this is very important. It tells us the root foundation of all these gifts. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. He gives the gifts and he gets the glory. He gives the gifts and he gets the glory. What do you have? Paul asks a question to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What do you have that was not given to you? And if it was given to you, why do you boast as if it wasn't? What ability, what gift was generated by your own smarts? Well, you know what? Even your smarts <coughs> were given to you. Everything. So God is glorified through Jesus Christ. Now let's think then from this. Spiritual gifts. Peter is telling us there are two categories. One is speaking gifts and one is serving gifts. 
you will look at yourself and you will see yourself on one of those tablets more completely, although, of course, there's crossover. There are speaking gifts such as prophecy, teaching, and exhortation. Why didn't I put tongues there? One reason is because I don't want to talk about it because it's controversial. No, I'm just joking. Why didn't I put it there? Well, because it's not in this list in Romans. But if you'll read 1 Corinthians 14, you will find out that the gift of language is subservient to the gift of prophecy in this way. The gift of languages is essentially the very same as the gift of prophecy when there is an interpreter. And then he says, if there is no interpreter, let him not speak. In other words, if someone can't converse in that language, he is not to speak because no one understands him and no one can be edified. So essentially, the gift of prophecy and the gift of languages, notice I use the new word instead of the old King James, which is tongues, because I think that just brings confusion. This is the gift of languages. And the gift of languages is a subcategory of the gift of prophecy. You see that very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll look at that probably a little bit as we go through all these. Gift of teaching, gift of exhortation. Those are speaking gifts. Serving gifts are the gift of serving, the gift of distribution, and the gift of administration, and the gift of mercy. Those are the ones we see in Romans chapter 12. That is not a comprehensive list of all the gifts. In 1 Peter chapter 4, he says that these gifts are the outpouring of God's varied grace. And the giftedness in the church is as individualistic as every individual who is here. Because every individual is gifted very uniquely. But they fit into this basic broad categories. Speaking gifts, serving gifts, we'll work through them over the next couple of weeks. Today we stop at the top, we start at the top of the list with the gift of prophecy. Now, let's just, when I come to the scripture, I always start my sermon for the next Sunday on Sunday night. This is how I do it, and then Monday morning I'm jumping into it. Sunday night, as I'm preparing, I usually sit down with the scripture and I simply read it and I ask a lot of questions. And I write down all my questions, and then through the week I try to answer those questions for myself. So I'll share some of my questions. What is the gift of prophecy? Who is a prophet? Can women prophesy? How does this gift function in the church? Did the gift of prophecy cease? Are present-day prophetic words to be equated the same authority as Scripture? By what standard are prophecies to be evaluated or judged? Those are my questions. When I read that phrase this week, if prophecy in proportion to the faith, the things that came to my mind over about an hour was, okay, so what is the gift of prophecy? I better know. Who is a prophet? Can women prophesy? 
My illustration at the end will probably run out of time because I'm a chicken liver anyway, but it deals with that one. So that's the question at the end that's the illustration. We'll try to get to it and deal with it in the end, in the, what is called the analogy of faith. If we don't deal with it today, we'll probably come back to it next week. How does this gift function in the church? Realistically, when he says here, if prophecy in proportion to the faith, what does it look like? Should I expect that when I'm getting ready to preach on a Sunday morning and I'm coming down the aisle, somebody grabs me aside and says, I got a prophecy for you? Should I expect that? What does this mean? Did the gift of prophecy cease? Are present-day prophetic words to be equated the same authority as Scripture? In other words, somebody says to you, I got a prophecy for you. God wants you to sell your house and to move to Africa and to be a missionary. You say, that couldn't happen. It happens all the time to people. A well-meaning Christian gets a burden from God for somebody else to do. Go figure that out. And they go to their brother in the Lord and they say to them, God wants me to tell you something. How do you argue with God? God wants me to tell you something. God wants you to sell your house and to move to Africa and be a missionary. What are you going to do when somebody comes and tells you that? Is what they just told you to be equated with Scripture? If it is, and you disobey it, you disobey God. So you better know the answer to that. But what standard of prophecies to be evaluated or judged? So let's jump in. Oh, no, I don't want to go there. Okay, let's jump in. What is a prophet? What does it mean to prophesy? Go with me to Hebrews chapter 1. I'm going to have you turn in today. I didn't put all these verses on the screen. I'm going to have you turn in. I want you to see them in your book. You know, when we had the funeral yesterday and uh, Alan's son was reading from Alan's Bible and he was reading all the notes in the margin, that was pretty, pretty cool. Use your book. It's a heritage to leave to your children, your grandkids. You know, use the book, use the sword. What is a prophet? What does it mean to prophesy? Here's my, now, I'll tell you right at the start, I think this concept of prophecy is pretty broad. But my definition of a prophet is this, or a prophecy. It is someone who speaks for God. God does not speak audibly. He has done so a few times. But God typically does not speak audibly. For most of human history, people did not have ready access to the Bible that we do. It tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, notice this, this is the definition. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. He did so how? To the fathers of the nation, the patriarchs, and he did so in what way? 
through prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by what? His son, whom he appointed. Notice that. I think there's a, just an easy definition there. God spoke. How does God speak? Through a prophet. So when we think of prophets and prophecy, the easy definition is just to say a prophet is God's spokesman. It is God's spokesman. Think with me of Old Testament Israel. In Old Testament Israel, there were various offices in the nation. There was a king, then there was a priest, and there was a prophet. The priest and the prophet have a specific function for the nation in relationship to God. The king does too, but let's think about priest and prophet. And we're going to think about direction. The priest, his role is to represent you to God. So the priest's role works from earth to heaven. The prophet's role is what? Reverse. He is God's representative on earth. So God speaks to the nation through the prophet, and the priest represents the people back to God. That's the functions. So when we think about this, we need to think about the office in Israel to begin with. Now, when we think about a prophecy, we can think about it two ways. The way we normally think about it is it's a prediction of the future. A prophecy can be a prediction of the future. But typically it's not. Most commonly, a prophecy is simply a statement of the divine will. Read the book of Isaiah. Read the book of Ezekiel. How much of those prophecies deals with the future and how much of it just deals with Ezekiel getting in the face of the people of Israel and saying, you are sinning, you must repent and come back to God. It is a prophet simply speaking for God a message to the people that's contemporary to them. So a prophet, a prophecy, is essentially... God's spokesman. It can be a prediction of the future. It can just be a statement of the divine will. Okay? Now, in this verse, it tells us God spoke in times past, Old Testament, to the fathers, to the nation. He did so in many various ways, by various means, but he does so through the prophets. In the last days, these days of culmination of the ages, he has spoken to us by what? His son. That's why it says in the book of Revelation. It says the spirit of prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is the final prophet. Okay? He is the final prophet. He fulfills that office in Israel and he is the culmination of God's message. 
He has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed to be the heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Okay. Now, you say, okay, how does this relate to the church? Let's go a little bit further. Let's consider two things. Let's consider the offices in the church, and let's consider the function of prophecy in the church. Now, I want you to go to the book of Ephesians. And I want you to go to chapter 4, and I want you to go to chapter 2. And I know this takes a little bit of time, but we need to do it. Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 2 and I want us to consider the offices within the church in other words what I'm saying is this is there a prophet? We have elders we have deacons should the church look for a prophet? as an office within the church. And I want to answer that by looking at some things in Ephesians 4. In Ephesians chapter 2. And then we'll consider something in the books of Timothy. First thing I'll say is in Acts 13 verse 1. says this. In the church at Antioch. In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. It gives us a list of them. And it says, they were praying before the Lord and fasting. And the Lord said to them, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do. So in that church, church at Antioch, there are prophets and teachers. Okay. Notice with me Ephesians 4. After Christ ascended, he gave gifts to men. He gave the apostles... He gave the prophets. He gave the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and he gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Okay, so we can say very easily there, Pastor Matt and my purpose in being given to the church as shepherd teachers is to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. He gives evangelists for that too. We're working back in the list. What's an evangelist? An evangelist is someone who has the gift of evangelism, but we're not just to think about it like going out on a street corner and handing out tracts. Probably the gift of an evangelist as we're looking at it here and you see it functioning in the book of Acts is more related to being a church planter. Laying the foundation of the gospel in a town like Philip does in the towns of Samaria. And then you work back and you see prophets and apostles. And I want you to hold that thought and I want you to go to chapter 2 and I want you to look at verse 19 when he says this. He's talking to Christians. He's talking about Jew and Gentile. And he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of God's family, his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Now I'm, I'm going to take that verse and correlate it with Ephesians 4 
and say, in my mind, he's talking about the office here. That the office of apostle and the office of a prophet are foundational to the church. Christ is the chief cornerstone, though. And what is the foundational element that the apostles and the prophets bring to the church? It is the scripture. That is the scripture that is given to us for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the fulfilling of the body of Christ, the growing of the body of Christ. So the apostles and the prophets are foundational offices in the church that God gives to the church to lay that foundation by giving his word. So I'm going to say this, and I hope you can swallow it. I believe the office of a prophet ceased, as did the office of an apostle. But I'm going to say this, I think the function of an apostle continues. We don't have apostles in the church, but we do send ones. That's an apostle. He's sent out. The work of an apostle continues. The function. And I believe the function of prophecy continues. But how? How does it continue? Let's go a little bit further in this. Okay? Next thing I want to say is this. I believe, oh, we've got to go one more. It is a, the gift of prophecy is a temporary necessity. It's a temporary necessity. It says that very clearly in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, when the perfect one comes, that which is imperfect will be done away, which is the gift of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. So in other words, when Christ comes, he can speak directly to us. We don't need a prophetic word. So it's a temporary necessity. And so it, he does tell us there to expect that that gift and others would cease. He does not say specifically when, but he says this will happen. Now, let's move along. Number two on my list is this. I believe then that prophecy, as I look at the scripture, that prophecy is a revelatory gift and it is to be equated with Scripture. Because it is a revelatory gift, and I hope you know what I mean by that word. God is revealing something. Because it is a revelatory gift, its abuse has brought more carnage to people than probably any other thing. There are probably more people in hell today because of false prophets. And I'm not just talking coming out of Christendom. I'm talking about the world. Mohammed was a what? Prophet from God in his mind. To be a spokesman for God is a scary thing, my friend. If we're going to speak for God, we better get it right. The abuse of this gift has damned more people to hell and brought more hurt in people's lives than any of the other gifts. 
flat out. It is a revelatory gift. It is to be equated with Scripture. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. I don't know what time the football game begins, but I'll try to make sure we get out of here in time for you to watch it. I don't watch football anymore. It's just, but s- stick with me. I, I know I'm, I'm going to go a couple minutes over because I don't want to lose the thought. So th- this is important here, what Peter says. Look, verse 16. We did not follow cleverly devised myths. When we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is 2 Peter chapter 1. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being on the mountain and seeing Jesus transform? But can you imagine being on the mountain and hearing a voice audibly? God speaking to his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Can you imagine this? I don't think you would ever forget that event. I think that would be pretty transformative. That would be an experience like none other. Holy cow! God just spoke! And then he says this. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. In other words, what he's saying there is that was a tremendous experience we had up on that mountain, but nobody can confirm it. Because the only ones that were there were us four. And so it is not to be trusted. That experience, Peter's saying, is not to be trusted on the same level as this book. That this book is confirmed. You can confirm it. And he goes on and he says this. And we do well to pay attention to this as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then he says, verse 20, because this is where we get into this thing about what is prophecy. Knowing this first of all. No prophecy of scripture. So prophecy is what? Scripture. No prophecy, prepositional phrase explaining what prophecy is, it is scripture. No prophecy of scripture was ever produced by a man's desire. No real prophecy was ever dreamed up and concocted. It came to him, and how did it come to him? Men spoke, there again, notice my definition, from God as they were what? Carried along by the Holy Spirit. They can't get it wrong, my friend. Why? God's Holy Spirit is carrying them along in such a way that he is going to preserve them from error in giving us what God wants us to know. 
And then he goes on chapter 2 and he talks about false prophets. Now here's what I want to just say about this one real quick. To disobey or to disbelieve the prophetic word as written in scripture is to disobey or to disbelieve God. In other words, every time I read God's word and I either disobey it or disbelieve it, I disobeyed and disbelieved God. However, when another person comes to you and says to you, God told me this for you. If you disobey or disbelieve what they said, you only disobey God or disbelieve God insofar as what they told you was scripture. If it's their own, no prophecy of scripture ever came from private origination, never came from the will of man. Somebody comes to you with a message from God, quote, unquote, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to it, because sometimes it's just in their vocabulary the way they're talking. And they're just telling you what they think God would want you to do and what is wisdom. I'm not telling you to just disregard them. I'm not telling you to spurn them. I'm not telling you to put your, you know, do this to them. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is this. What they tell you does not bind your conscience unless what they tell you is Scripture. Amen. Then it does. Then it does. Otherwise, it's just advice. Take it or leave it. Seek out godly counsel. But don't equate it with this book. That, I, help, I hope, helps us understand the next phrase. He says, if prophecy in proportion to your faith. What does proportion to our faith mean? It doesn't mean your own individual faith. It means the faith. In Jude chapter 1, it says this, we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So he's not here talking about our individual faith. He is rather talking about the faith that was once delivered to the saints, the body of truth contained in Scripture. So somebody comes to you, and they have... Man, how did I lose that? They have a prophetic word. It must be in proportion to the faith. So what does the proportion mean? Okay, here's the word. Proportion is a Greek word, analogia. You can see the word there, logia, logos, logic. From that, the reformers, we talked about the reformers last week, built a doctrine we call the analogy of faith. The analogy of faith. This is what the analogy of faith is. This is from a website called Monergism. We talked about Monergism last week. What is Monergism? It's God saves us, not man saving himself. And he explains on this what the analogy of faith is. Here's what it is. The analogy of faith is a reformed hermeneutical principle 
which states that since all scriptures are harmoniously united with no essential contradictions, therefore every proposed interpretation of any passage must be compared with what the other parts of the Bible teach. In other words, the faith or the body of doctrine which the scriptures as a whole proclaim will not be contradicted in any way by any passage. Therefore, if two or three different interpretations of a verse are equally possible, any interpretation that contradicts the clear teaching of any other scripture must be ruled out from the start. The premise is this. God does not contradict himself. God is consistent. God does not tell one person in one place to do something. If you live in northern Africa, it's okay to be a polygamist. But if you live here, you can't be. God's not in that. He is consistent. He does not contradict himself. So in other words, what we say here is this. If somebody comes to you with a message and they say it is from God, Test it by this book. And if it does not line up with this book, disregard it in every way. Okay? That is the essential truth. Next week we'll look at an illustration of it. We'll look at the analogy of faith tied to whether or not women can prophesy. Same station, same time, next week. Let's close. God bless us as we leave. Lord, may we love your word. It is sweeter than honey. It is more to be desired than gold. In your word, we know your way and we know your mind. Help us not to substitute our own cheap ways for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song together?
Father, thank you, Lord, for this morning, for the worship, for the reading, for the studying of your word, Lord. May we live it and be shaped by it in Jesus' name.